0: This is the video Jumpyard podcast. We are here. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all part of bubblegum. Well hello.
1: From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half ape, with the strength of 20 demons. It's
0: time.
2: And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junk Air podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me as always, my good friend and co-host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm great. We have a very, very special couple episodes coming up. This week and next week with a special guest host uh, here. For, uh, we're here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's not Ryan. It's not Sorry, Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Our other common guest host. Uh, we have a, uh, a friend of the podcast, uh, John Patta, who is going to be joining us this week to look at a couple of films and talk about his work as well. So, John, welcome to the Video Junker Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Good to have you yeah, it's here. has been kind of a, something we've been talking about doing yeah. for quite a while now, so Glad to uh, finally get you on. Um, And actually, it's funny because the movies that we're going to be talking about this week and next week are some things that Eric and I have kicked around for a while. And when I think I first approached you Mm -hmm. about coming on the show, we'd, you know, is there something you would like to watch and review? And you brought this one up right away and like doing it. Right. It's sold. And I don't even know what sparked that thought originally.
1: (laughs) I. it was a slam dunk for me. This yeah. is a it, kind of an old favorite, and that just fits the like f- format yeah. of our podcast, which we don't always fit perfectly ourselves. Yeah. But this one just fits so so well. And I guess it's it's uh, the second film, uh, you know,
2: definitely fits the format. Whether it's an old favorite or not is questionable. Sure. But well, and I mean, <laughs> kind of the. As we've mentioned many times on the show before, but when Eric and I first started kicking around the idea of doing a movie podcast, of you know, of which there's there's a few. If you didn't know, there's right. actually I've a heard couple of yeah. movie podcasts, there's at least a couple at other least ones on yeah. the internets, There's a few. Um, <laughs> we wanted to do something where these are forgotten films, forgotten genre films, mostly of like the 80s and 90s, and so this one mm-hmm. is perfect because it's one you mention to people and they always go, "Oh yeah, I've seen that in years." So I guess without further ado, uh, we are going to be. Uh, So these are our two films for this week and next week. We're looking at Tales from the Crypt movies. So if you remember, Tales from the Crypt was a famous EC comic in the 1950s, was banned uh, ultimately. It's responsible for why you have the comic code um, of appropriateness, (laughs) which is pretty much gone now anyway. Yes, it is gone. Um, And uh, then it was revived in the 90s on HBO as a a horror series, which if you've never seen episodes of Tales from the Crypt, you're, you're sorely missing out. Uh, and then in yeah. 1995, they tried bringing these to the big screen. And the original plan was to do a whole franchise of these. They ended up getting two of them done. And the first one is the one we're going to be talking about tonight. And this is the 1995 American horror comedy film, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight.
0: Universal Pictures is proud to present the motion picture directing debut of one of America's most talented and respected artists. Cut, 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 cut! cut. Oh, hello, kiddies. So glad you could join me. Your pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. I'm directing my first feature film. Care for a little shriek preview? For my big scream premiere, I wanted lots of suspense. Special effects. Sex. Violence. You really sink your teeth in two. My nice. frights!
2: one's directed by uh, Ernest Dickerson, stars Billy Zane, William Sadler, Jada Pinkett, uh, and has a, a kind of some nice co-stars with Dick Miller and Thomas Hayden Church, among many others. Uh, John, start with you on this. When, when did you first see this? Do you remember like, how far back this one goes? I
3: didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it right when it hit home video. Okay. And mm-hmm. I, because I was born in 84, so I was 11 when it came out. Mm-hmm. And my parents really didn't give a shit about what I watched, and I grew up watching <laughs> horror movies. And we never had HBO, so I only got to see Tales from the Crypt either when we stayed in hotel rooms that had HBO, okay. or once it hit ABC. <laughs> right. Remember it started? They started ABC started doing
1: reruns. Yeah.
3: At Was like it ABC midnight. Or
2: Fox. Or, I remember One of we on the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. And but they were. Censored, obviously. Yep. Yeah, that's what I saw. And I didn't find out until years later when watching them on DVD, seeing the episodes over again. Like, holy shit, I, these were like really censored. For- yes, <laughs> for yeah. For yeah. everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Yes, yes. So I, that was what was so exciting
3: to me about it was the fact that Tales from the Crypt was now accessible. You know, you didn't yep. need HBO to see it. And I don't mm-hmm. remember why the hell we didn't go to the theater. But, but no, that was uh, waiting for
2: that movie to come out on the Tuesday and went mm-hmm. to the video store right away. Yeah, I think I had a similar type of experience. I you know, saw the ads for it, but my nearest movie theater, and, and Eric and I grew up in the same town, so it's right. the same kind of thing, yeah. right? We're 30 minutes away from the nearest movie theater, so you waited for video, yep. usually. Um, convincing your parents to take you to something yep. like this was going to be tough. And so, yeah, I remember seeing this on video when it first came out, and um, really having a big impact on me. Absolutely. It was, it was great. What about you, Eric? Was it kind of a similar... Yeah, right similar. It, it could have had
1: to be right around the time when it came out, and I... I had a similar experience, like you were talking about John, like watching it on network in syndication, uh, watching the Tales from the Crypt show, and uh, not sure. I, I'm sure I didn't go to a theater to see it because uh, I couldn't have gotten in on my own, and my parents certainly weren't going to take me to see this one. And um, yeah, I just uh, I think a f- group of friends probably rented it one night shortly after it came out in the video store. I can remember watching it. I was at someone else's house with friends, is what I my memory of it. And I remember being like pretty blown away by how much I liked, like this was, this is one that was really popular and with amongst like our little group yep. of friends. And we would watch many times, you know, throughout my teenage years. So
2: yeah. Um, so I have a, a, you know, I was looking for a good short synopsis for this one to, to read in case there's anybody who's never seen this one before. Um, and what struck me is there's no good synopsis. <laughs> Anywhere for this movie. none <laughs> Nobody of the actually watched it. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to read the one that I found that I just find the strangest. Hmm. So it's... Yeah, Ex-soldier okay. Frank uh, Breaker, played by William Sadler, is the guardian of an ancient key that can unlock tremendous evil. The sinister but charming, charming collector, played by Billy Zane, is a demon who wants the key so he can initiate the apocalypse. On the run from wicked mercenaries for almost 90 years, Breaker finally stops in at a boarding house in New Mexico where, with the help of its quirky residents... He plans to face off against the collector and his band of ghouls preventing them from ever seizing the key. that, <laughs> that is is accurate I, but you're not right it, it's it, it's not that
3: little It's not that too far synopsis off.
2: synopsis kind of tells you more about the plot of the movie than the movie does though, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It really does. I mean, but I I imagine like shit this reads like a like a Don Bluth animated film, you know? If <laughs> you read it that way. I, I like th- they talking about
3: mercenaries. This is <laughs> mercenary, wicked. Yeah, mercenaries. Where, where did that come
1: from? We're, we're to, huh. Somebody has access to some deleted scenes or something. I
3: curious.
2: Yeah, wicked mercenaries. Yeah, there's no mercenaries. Nobody in here has anybody's <laughs> six. Okay, <laughs> yeah. this is not a mercenary film. Wow. Um, yeah, actually, no. It's it's Billy Zane yeah. doing a tremendous job, scene oh, yeah. chewing in every single oh, fucking fuck scene. Yes. William Sadler yeah. is excellent in this as uh, as Breaker. This is one of Jada Pinkett's this is, earliest roles. Yeah, before yeah. I was gonna say this. Before cast, she got this Smith, movies really yeah. got a hell of a cast. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I was in doing a little bit of, of background research into this. It's got an interesting history. Actually, both of these Tales from the Crypt films do. So this one was originally shopped around for a while. It was, and it's been like in the hands of some of the biggest horror directors in Hollywood. It was originally tied to Tom Holland as his follow-up yep. to Child's Play. Mm-hmm. So it goes back at least that right, far. Right. It Sounded um, like
1: it was in a very different shape
2: at the time when when they. Yeah, had, um... it, it's gone through a lot of a lot of changes too. Uh, the it was then going to be developed by Mark Carducci, who was uh, the screenwriter for Pumpkinhead, hmm. mm-hmm. um, the 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 yeah Rick Baker film, uh, Stan Winston film. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, then Mary Lambert, who did Pet Cemetery, was going to do it, and it was actually on her docket to do after she did Pet Cemetery, the sequel part two, which was such a disaster that Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to give her funding to do it charles charles band had it for a while full moon was going to make this but it had again budget issues i believe right and so then universal ended up getting it because they wanted to start doing these tales from the crypt film franchise things um there were two other landed on joel silver's desk eventually yeah (laughs) yeah joel silver eventually got it and so there were two if if, if no
1: one's familiar with uh or, or i'm sure you're familiar with the name Joel silver but um is one of the executive producers of the tales from the crypt series as well yeah. as
2: yeah but and you know so they had two other films that they were going to make they had a film called dead easy which was like a zombies in new, new orleans, orleans film right, yeah. and then body count and i'm not familiar what that was yep. going to be about none of them ever got past screenwriting um but they felt this was strong enough it had that good balance of humor and horror just like the tales from the crypt episodes so they went ahead and pushed this to the front, even though it was supposed to be a later sequel or a later film in the in the entry. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just kind of bounced around for a while, and yeah, we mentioned that it was it, it went through some changes. I was also reading that the original plan was to cut back the budget and have all the demons be people. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Oh, so the the, the, page, yes, <laughs> the the collector was originally you've been reading the Wikipedia page. Yes, I have. The collector was originally going to be a. Um, uh, uh, evil Bible salesman and his demons were going to be like I, it's like a pyramid scheme I guess they're like the other Bible salesman <laughs> yeah I was going to say it sounded like it, the
1: you know under siege by Jehovah's Witnesses essentially was uh, yeah a bunch yeah. of
2: Bible thumping demonic Mr. Smiths from the Matrix and uh, then they found out that there was another film that was being developed called Demonite that was about demonic yuppies so the Universal said fuck it just mm. give them the money give us demons and they did and if way better, they look great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. The yeah, this would have been this.
1: a very very different film with suit. Yeah, anyway, sorry, John. I keep cutting.
3: Oh no, that, that, no, that's quite all right. And I also think that it would have taken away from Billy Zane if there were other yeah. humans as the evil characters. Oh, the mm-hmm. way he
2: interacts with these demons and he's kissing them on the head. Oh my god, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, he, it's so incredible. He.
1: he I would say this movie and this movie alone is the reason why I'm such a big fan of Billy Zane's. Like I try to think about other stuff and there's a few other movies I can think of that I like him in, but this, I mean, this is really it. This is for me, his, his, you know, this it's is his, his performance. It is. Yeah, exactly. This
3: I feel like after this movie, when I heard Billy Zane was going to be in something, I was like, "Well, I got to see it now." Right. And you know, he yeah. never gets to play this character. And again. that's how you end up seeing Titanic. You know, right. I've never seen Titanic. <laughs> right. I've never seen it. So. you missing. I've
1: actually. I am. <laughs> now that I know Billy Zane's, Zane's through, in it, I got to so. see it. Now. He's the villain. Yeah. In he is. <laughs> oh, he's is actually really? a pretty good villain. In it
2: too. <laughs> I mean, he's not you know kissing demons and making fun of red yeah backs,
1: but... i mean it's not really comparable to this but yeah, he's he's finding it what i've seen i've actually never seen it start to finish by the way so you're like the second person besides myself that i've
2: talked to that hasn't really seen titanic so well i mean but... it, it, this demon knight has some really he's got some of the best lines in it and I, f- I find that even you know around the house this is one of those films that will pop up a line from this will pop yes. up regularly mm-hmm. um, you know a, I, I can't see somebody wearing a cowboy hat which I occasionally have to wear them too when I'm out in the field but I can't see somebody wearing a cowboy <laughs> hat without thinking fuck this cowboy shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the little pissy piss fitty yep. that part is excellent the, the I, I think it's kind of cool too that when you, you look at um, so Ernest Dickerson who directed this mm-hmm. he's known for doing a lot of stuff in collaboration with Spike Lee so juice mm-hmm. and uh, bulletproof and bones. Well, he was his cinematographer. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So yep. and so by having one of the things that really stands out in this film too is a uh, unsuspecting uh, African American heroine mm-hmm. in it with, yep. with Jada Pinkett, and that's you know not something you see a lot of, and it's done in a really cool way where it's not. Which it's not the main theme of the movie. A little it's crazy
1: that awesome. we're talking about a movie made in 1995, and it. And it but still, it, I very much remember even thinking that at the time that it was something you didn't see mm-hmm. all the time, and it was it was kind of refreshing even in 1995. And then you think of it now, it's like wow. I mean, we we're this is this is the world we were growing up in, right? Right. So it's... Yeah.
3: Well, and I think also <laughs> the sense that because um, uh, gosh, what? Uh, oh yeah, Geraldine. That's that's yeah. her name. Mm-hmm. Is that your typical final girl? You know, and which I think we can call Geraldine a final girl. Yeah. In this, you know, but your typical final girl usually starts out as the sweet and the innocent, and then Mm -hmm. has that moment that pushes them to become the strong character. And she's a strong character from the get-go. Yeah. And I think the fact that we have a protagonist
1: like that in 1995 is pretty unheard of. It is.
2: Yeah, and we still I can't think
3: of another
1: movie outside like in this in the genre realm. that has somebody comparable, like, uh, you know, a black female character like that. Uh, Uh they're, I mean, we're talking about most of the slasher films and stuff coming out around this are still, you know, playing the good old stereotype of, uh, you know, having the one black character killed off in the first ten minutes of the you know the first yeah, active there's, ten there's minutes. There's one, of, yeah, and they yeah. die right away. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, mostly right.
2: because they're you know so stoned that they can't. Uh, right, or they're they're the comic relief that does something. Well, yeah, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. totally playing up playing up mm-hmm. that bullshit. But in this one, you're right. She's she's a very strong character from the beginning. Um, and this film does some some early stuff, just kind of twisting things around, stuff like that. Um, you know, the movie opens up with. Um, the, the roles that you're suspecting for Breaker and the Collector are very different.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's it's probably a good fifteen minutes into it before it really starts to turn. Oh yeah, um, I remember that like red herring of you mm-hmm. know Breaker being the the villain
1: and you know um, Billy Zane being the uh, the good guy really working on me, especially like because I you know I was I was born '83, so I was twelve if you were eleven when this came out. So I was yep. twelve years old when I saw it. that it totally worked on me like i was totally shocked like i'm not sure seeing it the first time at my age now if i would be or not but um yeah it 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 certainly was effective um and again that's just kind of playing with the stereotypes of genre films i think it was just it's it's a much smarter film than um i think it looks like it is on the surface and that not everything in it's like you know super like cerebral style of horror it's got a lot of great you know effects and splatter Mm-hmm. Um, and not everything's perfect in it either but I, I do think it's a smarter film than it gets credit for
2: yeah yeah it really is I mean it starts bringing in some really cool themes too they, they kind of sneak them in there you know again like we're talking about with the way the characters are are even structured um, but bringing in this kind of really, Kind of heavy Judeo-Christian mythology into it too, in a way that isn't campy. It's it's because it's creepy. the '90s, and they had oh, right. to, right? We talked about that the other day when we did our
1: show on the prophecy yeah. <laughs> movie. Um, the '90s really seem
2: to be obsessed with this uh, yeah. kind Christianity, of Christianity
1: scary <laughs> <laughs> religious thriller. Is that like a
2: backlash I mean, of the Satanic Panic or something? Like, no you know what's really fucking scary? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Not Satan, it's Jesus. Well, and I also think that this
3: is a different portrayal of the, this, the basic good versus evil mm-hmm. story. And, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, especially when you have films like The Exorcist and The Omen, where it's, it's kind of these central centralized characters that are in a situation that they're sprung upon. And this is, this is centuries old. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this battle over the keys and trying for the, uh, for the evil to, to win and have darkness over Earth. Has not hmm. stopped, and you know you you know that breaker. You find out he's been doing this for like ninety years, and and everything like that. And the collector, we have no idea how long he's been in that form, but you get the impression it's been a long yeah. ass mm-hmm. time. So I I really enjoy that aspect of it. That it's not you know like in The Exorcist, it's like okay, sure, Father Marin had a run in with with the evil previously, but really it's just that brief moment with Reagan, right. and like this is a fucking massive story that yeah, we're just getting a exactly. little it's taste a really
2: of. big story yeah there's
1: it, and i don't think i you know we both referred to it as being christian mythological i'm not sure it has to be taken that way i think that's might you know the kind of mythology that this pushes is kind of older than that it, it yeah, definitely sure. binds christianity it pulls christianity into it and kind of explains away some of some of that. And I think, obviously, when people are talking about, you know, it, the blood w- that was collected from a man being crucified and mm-hmm. yada, yada. I, uh, obviously, some people in the room in the scene are taking it to mean Jesus Christ or whatever. And, and I'm sure some of the audience is. But I don't think it's it has to be any of that. Right, it never says I mean, for it's sure. It's, it's, it, it, they say is, a carpenter. They yeah, say they a say carpenter. carpenter. Yeah, I, so
2: they're alluding to it. Yeah. And, but it's also alluding, yeah, to the point that, you know, this carpenter was another guardian. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, didn't so older start than
1: yeah. Or maybe, it, you know, Christianity is just one phase of this, you know, battle that's been going on since the beginning of time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of cool and it doesn't have to spend a lot of it doesn't do it right. does a little bit of an info dump on you to get get you there, but I don't I never feel like it's um like it doesn't have to spend a whole lot of time to get you into the story mm-hmm. and it doesn't uh, feel bogged down, but but it's um it's effective enough to make you like start to think about it and um, feel the weight of you know the <laughs> old as history
2: or old as the world battle between good and evil. So and, and this is one I would love to see um, expanded. Like I, there's enough story there. Oh, I mean, I would yeah. love to see this explored in comics or yeah, I, you know, in something. It'd be really cool. Kind of wish see. they would have gone
1: with that rather than yeah. you know just doing the loose connection between the three films that they were supposed to with having the key featured in each of them. Or the keys, not one of the keys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a little disappointing that they don't—they never went and did anything with these. But um, I mean, I think that comes down to neither of the *Tales from the curve feature films were all that successful theatrically. I don't believe so.
2: Yeah, I mean, this uh, one had a—I um, was trying to find a budget for thirteen million—is what it, its budget was. Yeah,
3: thirteen million—it was its budget, and it grossed twenty-one.
2: Okay, so I okay. mean, it, it
3: so, did yeah, yeah, not fairly bad. well. Right. And that's just theatrical gross. And right. yeah. and actually going back to when we saw the movie for the first time, Joe, I know you were a comic mm-hmm. fan, mm-hmm. and Eric, I don't know if you read comics, but this Yeah. yeah. ad was on the back of every comic yep. I swear I in 1995. Some, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like I think I
1: still have some books that have you, that ad on the back. <laughs>
3: you can grab a comic from 95 or 96 and on the back, I swear like 8 out of 10 times it's going to have The Demon Knight coming to home video. And I have mm. to think this movie did even better
2: at home oh it did it, you know it did it, oh yeah i would it, think so it totally did it that's i mean it, it got mediocre I know, like, reviews when it came out
1: yeah i mean like we were talking about like the but, like my group of friends joe being one of them but like mm-hmm. all of us were uh, this was a yep. like favorite film this yep. one that was rented For sure. multiple times watched multiple times you know and, um so yeah i had to have done
2: well. Yeah, it, it definitely earned a cult following. You mm-hmm. um, know, I mean, most people that have seen it at this point, they saw it on home video. It it was it didn't do great in theaters, mm-hmm. but I'm yeah, I don't think I saw it in theaters. Maybe I did, mm-hmm. but I doubt it.
1: Yeah, I know that I didn't, but <laughs> but yeah, and um, so I mean,
3: and it did fairly well. I right, mean, it, it made. And its opening weekend, it brought in $10 so it almost made its budget back on its opening weekend. Right. And, you know, and and granted, you know, now horror movies, they make their budgets back in opening weekend and stuff like that, but the 90s were a rough time for horror. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't think, because this is before Scream. Scream came out in December of that year. And so, Ah. so Scream really brought horror back to the mainstream. Yep. And... I feel like for this to do twenty one million bucks on a thirteen million dollar budget before Scream, is pretty damn good. It is. I mean, it I'm is. I'm not. I'm not the big suits at Universal. Considering that's the time, though. But
1: you're but, right. Considering well, yeah, the Yeah. Time. I mean, and I think that might be like the key to what it is that got them to. Um, sorry i drove a phrasing what i'm trying to say but like attaching tales from the crypt to this script i think is right. what got you know butts in the seats that's what makes yep. them that money back um and then you know putting you know cryptkeeper tags at the beginning and the end and um so it just looks like a big long episode of the show w- works just fine when it comes to selling the film yeah did from a perspective now going back and like and I it's been a while since i've watched the show but I feel like this is not actually my. This is gonna be my like one detraction. I generally really love this movie. Um, I don't feel like it's a great example of what Tales from the Crypt was though. Right. Like, if this was your like one thing you've ever seen that is Tales from the Crypt related, you you would literally have no idea what Tales from the Crypt is all about because this is not a, a good story. Tales from the Crypt sure. story. Yeah. Well, and and it's not. It's not your conventional kind of morality play. Exactly. Like, they, That's they what really I was going to stu- bring up. Yeah. 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 Yeah,
3: and I mean, and you know, we'll get into it on the next episode with Bordello of Blood, but I do feel like <laughs> this has the more a stronger morality angle. It does than Bordello of yeah. Blood, so I I do think like that alone, if you compare the two, this does feel like more of a Tales from the Crypt episode. But still, yeah, it's, it's not yeah.
2: it's not a representation
3: it, of what that show was. Yeah, but right. I, I can was, see
2: why they they tacked it on there. And again, this does not detract from the film. But can you imagine trying to market this film? In '95, yeah.
1: without tying tales from the crypt. <laughs> to right. It. No, yeah, no, it, it, it's it probably will. a genius move. Honestly, it's yep, probably yep. what made them their money. So it's because it
2: it wouldn't. And, and you know what? The tales from the crypt stuff doesn't do anything to the story. Uh, yeah. It, no, it's just it doesn't. Fair. I will. I will admit on this watch, I didn't even
3: watch the 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 back end of the Tales from the Crypt, por- with the Crypt Keeper. You know when he has yeah. the premiere? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's That's like the, the opening and, yeah. with John Lair- uh, John Larroquette. You know, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. fine. Like, that f- it feels like Tales from the Crypt and stuff. And it just does transition into this. But to me,
1: I don't need the Crypt Keeper at all. And this movie still no. fucking
2: rules. Yeah, you could yeah. literally
1: just chop that off of both ends and start it with, and I yep. don't think any, if you showed that to somebody, I don't think they would notice, like, oh, wait, wasn't this supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie? Like, right. no, there would no. be no... You know, um, this, is, this is like so many
2: of the other horror films that we've talked about or plan on talking about that you know, as we were discussing yep. before we were recording that, this, you know, it's a maintain rights thing. Like, well, how many Hellraiser sequels do you need? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just to maintain rights. And it's like, we've got a story. Well, can you throw a Cenobite in it? Now it's a Hellraiser film. Mm-hmm. And so like, oh, you throw the Crypt Keeper at the beginning of this one and now it's a Tales from the Crypt movie. But it's it's not. But I, could, I totally agree. I can see why they would have done that. Because this would be especially before Scream, mm-hmm. this would be a really hard movie to, to market because it's, Yeah, I think what makes it as close to a Tales from the Crypt type story is the balance of horror and humor. Absolutely. Because yeah. it does have some it legitimately does. funny lines. Oh um,
3: yeah, this movie's got a games. lot of really
1: great humor. It's it's very funny as, as much as it is, you know, um, frightening, suspenseful, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things. Which it, it does all of those in, in bits, but yeah, it's... It's got a lot more in common with its, uh, you know, sister film or whatever, with Bordello of Blood, than it does with Tales from the Crypt in yes. that respect, and that's that it's, it's a you know generally an exploitation film, so it's gory, it's funny, it's um, over the top, but this one's got a little more going on, and we'll get to that with Bordello of Blood, but um, but I do see, I, I agree with you, John, that it does fit a little more than Bordello right. does with the Tales mm-hmm. from the Crypt. Um, and brand but or whatever whatever you want to call it (laughs) going back to the idea
3: of selling it in 95 without that something that i do really love about the time period when tales from the crypt was coming out is when you look at who's behind that show and these films as producers you know robert (laughs) zemeckis you -hmm. know the year before this forrest gump came out yeah he goes from making forrest (laughs) gump to making Tales from, the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt, and then yep. Walter Hill, and you know Joe Silver, like you yep. said. I mean, I think you'd it's almost think like a think laundry
1: like, list of every big name in Hollywood right? at that time in 1995. Yep.
3: Yeah, and I just love the fact that these are really not. I mean, Joel Silver, yes, he's a genre person, and Walter mm-hmm. Hill, yeah, sure. You know, yep. he's got some genre titles, but Robert Zemeckis, you know yeah. him and Bob Gale, to be behind this, and like, yeah, we did Back to the Future, yep. we did all the Back to the Future movies, Didn't, and Forrest Gump. Yeah and Here's then the zemeckis
1: direct the uh pilot of tales from the crypt the yep. killer santa episode yep. Yep. yeah yep and, and oh
3: no or was that richard donner
1: or maybe yeah okay yeah because right. richard yeah. donner's another, another producer that well. that's right he is. yeah you're and right.
3: so it it is kind of interesting to think that like even having their names on this might not have been enough to to sell this movie yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but I suppose... Well, I mean, it's, not like, the, it's not like you could the really family open to go the trailer with, from the creator yeah, yeah. of Forrest Gump. Yeah, no,
3: I, yeah, I would love to see that from the guys that brought you Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> Superman. Back to the Future too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'd, be,
2: that'd be a fucked up that, Christmas. It's kind of an
1: interesting situation for all of those guys with their huge filmographies to like have to sit there and, and figure out a different way to sell a film. <laughs> like, right. like, look at this list of stuff I've done, but I can't really tie that to this like I, this is has to stand all on its own which is, which is kind of cool but, yep.
2: but you know um, and, and, and there was the, the series on Showtime Eric that I know you and I watched a lot and I'm sure you saw a lot of episodes the Masters of Horror yes right I'm yep. looking at how that show got started it was you know these directors got together for dinner every yep. now and then and decided to start doing this but you're, you're talking about these you know horror directors that went on to do a lot of other projects but they came back to this thing that they all started on mm-hmm. um, what's weird about this is that you've got, you know, Gail and Zemeckis that didn't start out as horror filmmakers, but they were writing some horror stories when mm-hmm. they were younger. Mm-hmm. And so they still kind of came back around to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, all of these people kind of found that that mutual love of all
1: the old EC comic books they grew yeah, up reading. Absolutely. I mean, it was that, that age of people. I mean, they all, that was their youth. You know, the way we're talking about Demon Night, they were all that age when, you know, the EC Comics ban and all that stuff was happening, so mm-hmm. it just made you want to get them yeah, more.
2: Exactly. And and I do like that now they you know they do the reprints of a lot of the old tales from the Crypt Vault of Horror and all that. And those are some of those. And you can see how you know those stories are kind of usually ripoffs of old stories anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how many different ways can you redo Portrait of Dorian Gray? Exactly, or the monkey's right. paw. Monkey's paw. You know yeah. yeah, but yeah. you know, this is a lizard's paw or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's always changing. But but yeah, and. So, so yeah looking at how these these directors are kind of choosing these projects and how they're, they're coming around full scale in their their careers is, is really interesting and then a movie like this which is kind of a hidden gem right yeah. and I know that phrase has kicked out a lot for right. movies that people like that nobody talks about but it really is because yeah. um, I've never met anybody who's seen this and hated it and yeah, I which just, is weird do uh, sorry
3: oh no I was just gonna say even like when you and I were talking about this originally Joe I don't know many people when I say demon Knight, Go oh fuck yeah you know usually it's like wait which one is that again and I'm like, why don't everybody why isn't everybody talking about this because no. it is such a fun movie mm-hmm. and it's yeah, just, it it is. I think it satisfies on so many levels so I think hidden gem is correct because it's like you either saw this when it came out and you've loved it ever since or you wrote it off for whatever reason mm-hmm. and you
2: never gave yeah. it a shot yeah and it wasn't and, your thing yeah or, you know. I can see this is isn't going to be everybody's taste because yeah when no it's, it. it when when it's certainly not an exploitation movie that, it, that it's yeah. going to turn a you know certain and, crowd off, but I mean, it's yeah. gory, it's that gory. That kind of thing at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I, I want to mention just also that the practical effects in this are so good. Yeah, oh, yeah. the the transformations and and the the diff, you know it's the body horror that is seen in this yeah. is so yep. good. Yes, um, and I know like a lot of there's there's kind of a resurgence of doing this this level of body horror and gore in films now but it, everything comes off looking way too waxy sure and and there's something about this i, mean, I noticed the blood in this movie is all slightly pink mm-hmm. yeah it's just there's something charming about it yep yep <laughs> you know it's, it's probably a weird thing to say but yeah there's something charming yeah about no no, no it's, it's all Knight. kind
1: of over the top but the creature effects are great like i think the practicals and the costumes um Although they don't look like they're really easy to get around with. I noticed, which is something I've never noticed in this film before, uh, the scene where um, they first start to get up the stairs, mm-hmm. and I think Billy Zane's walking at the front of them, and there's demons following him up the stairs. It looks like what the, the leg pieces of those costumes are essentially built out of tights and, like... Um, stiletto heels essentially like mm-hmm. uh, so big big tall high heels not stiletto i don't i don't know my high heels but um, <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, So and this last demon trying to get up the stairs is having a hell of a time <laughs> trying to get up these like metal stairs. If you ever watch it again, check it out in that scene because she trips a couple of different times. I, I, I'm assuming it's a she. I don't know
2: why I'm assuming uh, that, I'll, I'll have to check like... that out. I missed that.
3: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you know, there's humans that struggle getting upstairs. So That's true. Maybe yeah, not, true, maybe not true. every it's demon. It's just, just a, the clumsy you know, one. The, they, <laughs> they, haven't been, they haven't been working out properly.
2: It was right? the last demon to come out of the ground from when he cut himself in the blood and everything. <laughs> yeah. a little janky <laughs> you know. but no I,
1: I really love the look and the. Um, I feel like it's kind of like not a whole lot of like we saw like we were saying earlier in the 90s we saw tons of these like religious esque horror films and I don't think anybody made one quite like this mm-hmm. like um I think they were always trying to be like a little more um I don't know up upper crust or whatever then this one's just a lot of fun but it's 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 not that you can't take the story seriously or you can't be interested in what's going on. It's not laughably bad. It's, it's, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, um, there's a lot of films that are great and have a lot of great effects and, um, splatter and, you know, the boobs and the blood and all the stuff that you love about it, like, kind of exploitation movie that don't give you that other you know the substance that this does yeah so it's good that's why i think it's just generally an appealing movie that i would recommend pretty much to anyone at least anyone that's listening to this podcast so
3: well oh, and the story just drives the whole thing you know mm-hmm. i mean it's it's yeah. all every single moment in this is set up around story yeah and for me that's what i love because yeah absolutely as a kid you know i love just watching endless violence and a bunch of gore and stuff like that and it can still be really fun but i just really enjoy story so yep. even if it's simple, yep. I just want something there so that every character has a purpose, every character has a motivation, mm-hmm. and I feel like this just has it all. And it also, if you take off those bookends with the Crypt Keeper, this is like a 75-minute film or something yeah. like that. I yeah, mean,
1: it's tight. It's quick.
3: Yeah, it covers a lot of ground, and it, but I also feel like, I think you mentioned this, Eric, really earlier, you're getting the story without it spending a lot of time focusing on mm-hmm. it you know it's just dropping a line here or there or you get you know when breakers filling in to geraldine about what her responsibilities are going to be now you know maybe that's like a one minute monologue yeah. but okay we got everything that we needed and yeah. we move on yep
1: yeah.
2: and i really like love i said at like,
1: this... the get-go that little synopsis you read earlier joe gave us more <laughs> like, really, yeah. literal in like literal event by event background of breaker
2: than i think the movie does <laughs> like, yeah, well and and i really love the ending you know, yeah. reluctant yeah. hero. She's, yeah. she's now taken on the mantle. And that little stinger at the end. Oh, it's great. With, now here's her collector. The collector, yeah, the new collector. And, owner. yep, it just it. there's something, you know, there's more I to mean, this.
1: I I want to see that movie, you know. And, like, right. I really and the way want sequels it. go, I'm sure it, never, it right. wouldn't have been as good or whatever. But, yeah, I, I would have rather seen that than, you know, what they go on to do. So, I don't know. With the right
2: director and those two could be great. I mean, yeah. they should still do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not gun yeah. John Singleton <laughs> yeah. and that could be badass hell yeah that could be really really cool so if we had to tie, to wrap this one up and give it a grade well I do want to oh, oh, one yeah. thing that we oh, didn't please, talk yeah. about
3: that I feel we have to is William Sadler oh, as, oh yeah and yeah. I yeah, I, this movie solidified oh well actually that's not true Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey you know when I saw him <laughs> his death yeah because he just cracked me up in that movie and he's coming back and I know in the new one I know <laughs> but I've always been a William Sadler fan mm-hmm. and Fuck, he is just perfect in this. That's yeah. breaker. Yep. He's, He's ab- great. And and I think going He's- back to the cast, I've always been a character actor person. That's who I really, really. like. And you know, yeah, of course, there's really- other actors that are that obviously win Oscars and are super talented. But there's so many of those supporting actors that never really get their chance to shine. Yeah. And you know, having William Sadler and Dick Miller in mm-hmm. a movie I was together. Gonna say, oh my Dick- god.
1: Dick Miller gets like his largest role this side of the 60s in yeah. this movie I think yeah. like this is the most screen time and the most you know dialogue he gets and um uh, which is awesome cuz he's great he's,
2: he's great. absolutely well and i'm you know thinking you're right with with sadler like he's he, I know he, most of the stuff you see him in now is a lot of you know Frank Darabont. Yeah right exactly. Stuff. Yep. But he's, he's he's always playing really interesting characters. He doesn't yep. have a lot of screen time but yep. they're impactful. But he's they're, always so good they're at fleshing solid, out like, that dependable. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking uh, the last thing I think I saw him in was rewatching um The Mist. Right. Oh right yeah. He he plays this kind of random townsfolk guy, but he does it really well. And there's there's an arc with him exactly. as well. He's a, he's a character actor, but yeah. And then yeah, Dick Miller. Um, God, it's funny. I actually just saw Dick Miller in a movie. I've just introduced my five-year-old to the Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, oh which so also nice. involves showing him parts of like the old Corman yep. one, which has Dick Miller in it. Yep. Yet. Yep. Um, so, yeah, since the 1960s, that was probably the movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's another one everybody knows. Oh, it's the guy from Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yes, yeah. And yeah, yeah he kind yeah. of plays the same character in every movie sure. he did for a long time. But, um, you know, he's a staple. Mm-hmm. He's, he, was, he was big in every Joe Dante film and uh, he, in a lot of Corman stuff. Mm-hmm. So getting him in this, yeah, and even that character is needed a lot. And he was always really good yep. at the kind of town drunk thing. Yep. And the other thing I love about this film, and it's a product
3: of its time, the soundtrack is, is yeah. So good. I wrote that
1: down too. It it yes. just came back to me how good it is, and and honestly, like that filter song. I know it was oh, popular before yeah. this before this, but that song literally, if it comes on the radio today, that's all you picture. Demon night is in my head. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, like, it's so it's that like it's one of it's almost I dare I call it like a Tarantino esque. I mean it in the way that that a song ties uh-huh. you to the movie rather yeah. than to like something you know. Rather than vice versa. Yep. Um, this is one of those
2: for sure. I, for I have I have had the joyful experience of driving down a desert road in the middle of the night, and that song came on the radio. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no nice. fucking way! <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> you press the gas down a little bit more.
3: You just yeah. take off. Well, and the, there's the song when when Geraldine has her vision. Mm-hmm. Where uh, she's in the room and and you know the collector's trying to seduce her and everything yeah. and it's a Grave Diggers song one eight hundred suicide yep. that was my introduction to, to horrorcore horror. yeah. and you know and I was you know, oh, like oh yeah. my god this is a thing my eleven year old self because I bought the soundtrack mm-hmm. and uh-huh. found the Grave Diggers and I was like rap that's all about horror this is awesome yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean it but I I love
2: that that's about, not ICP yeah yeah right right yeah. right they had to ruin it
3: but. You know, I think that that is something that in the, the digital world, which, you know, I know like we sound like old men if we talk about that, but soundtracks were so important. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think yep. they, they were not only just to the movie, but I think to like my livelihood, you know, I found so many bands simply because of soundtracks
1: oh and, same here i think that's yeah. how i you know a lot of the band early bands that yeah. i discovered or got interested in was through movies or through yeah. soundtracks. exactly For
3: and sure. and i think films at that time especially because you know obviously the music industry was booming at in the 90s and stuff but there was yeah. so much emphasis on music in films yeah and mm-hmm. soundtracks was always another way that they were going to make money so they pushed those things so hard but there are so many good soundtracks from that and
2: time. and i i i Kids today. Talk, speaking of something like done, here, kids today, don't understand the soul-crushing pain of loving a film soundtrack and discovering that new band, and then tracking down the album that yes. that song is on, and finding that there's no other good track on. It. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. I thought you were going
3: to go and seeing a movie, loving a song in it, and buying the soundtrack, and that song is not on the soundtrack. Oh, that happened. To oh, yeah, that used to happen. Or all it's the some band. stupid remix. <laughs> yeah.
2: I like I remember right. buying the soundtrack to the movie Spawn. And oh, oh yeah, God, was it terrible? That that's when that was like the crossover soundtrack, right? Where yeah. you had like yeah. Marilyn Manson yeah, it was doing all techno. songs with yep. uh, they would twins or yep. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a uh, like a techno remix of "For Whom the Bell Tolls." I'm just like, what the fuck? Is oh that yeah, that was that <laughs> was bad. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple
1: of good songs on the Spawn soundtrack, but yeah, in general, uh, I, I hear what you're saying.
2: But uh, I did wear out my uh, my soundtrack to the the tape, the cassette tape of the Wayne's World soundtrack. I wore that. Oh yeah, didn't. <laughs> and not just listen to Bohemian Rhapsody over and over sure. again. There's all of them. There's some great stuff on there. There was Hendrix, and yeah, yeah I, I agree. Soundtrack, the Wayne's World soundtrack gone. is what
1: convinced me initially. Like, and this was later than, but I remembered it from being a kid. Was actually what convinced me that like post Ozzy Black Sabbath was, was worth checking out because I really loved the song Time Machine, which is on that. So, mm. like, oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. but anyway, well, they introduced sure. me to Alice yeah.
2: Cooper. And, sure, yeah, that, yeah, that too. So anyway. that it, it could happen, <laughs> but so. Okay, so, I guess we got to wrap doing this grades. one up. doing great. <laughs> um, if we had to give this one a grade, and we'll start with you, John, like an A to an F, and if you feel like doing plus or minus, Ooh. that's fine, too. How would you, how would you put well, Demon Knight? Well, I, I think my,
3: my grade is going to be wrapped up in the fact that this is a movie that I've loved since mm-hmm. 1995, and I've seen it multiple times since then, and it still delivers for me. And I will go as far as to say it's one of my favorite '90s horror movies. So I'm probably—am I saying that this is a perfect movie? No. Does it have flaws? Absolutely. It's a A minus for me. Mm-hmm. I I'm a huge fan of this movie.
1: Nice, Eric. What about you? I'm almost right there with you. I was going to say a B plus. Like I I feel like that's—I mean—and I'm tying a lot of nostalgia and yep. like lifelong Agreed. fandom into it as well. Uh, but I think I honestly think you you. You show it to somebody now, even chops the chop the ends off so they don't like try to, you know, tie it to the tails from the crypt thing. It works. And it's it's gonna be an entertaining movie. I don't think there's anything that's super dated about it. Um Yeah, I think it's solid. I I would I'm not sure what critics at the time were thinking I mean, I know horror movies aren't always, you know, the critical uh, favorites, but this is this is better than it got credit for and yeah, I'm I'm B plus for sure.
2: Nice. I, I'm actually gonna have to go with I was Gonna go like an A minus area too. Um, this this was one that I um, yeah, I'm making you feel bad, Eric. Um <laughs> yeah, but well. no, no, I, I think um, kind of the same thing. This was something I, I watched and I think I probably I should have just bought a copy of it when it when I was younger and it came out because I rented it so often I might as well have. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, again, good soundtrack, good acting, great story. It was a bigger story than the film, the film had, had room for um and yeah it's really kind of a shame that it wasn't able to be continued in some medium or another like i don't know like is is there maybe there is there demon knight fan fiction i don't know yeah, that's like, a good question but i'm you know a little worried about i don't know if i want to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> i was gonna say there could be if you want to start writing. right right well, I'm, I'm not suggesting that either but, <laughs> but i i yeah this one's definitely um an awesome one i do also want to take a little bit of time john and and talk about some of your projects as well um so obviously you know you you grew up watching a lot of horror and now you're in a position where you're writing and directing and editing and producing horror films and uh so what what are some films that really kind of solidified for you that this is something you wanted to get into
3: ghostbusters was my absolute first love when it came to a movie Mm -hmm. and uh Funny little story is that my parents went to see in the theater. My mom went into labor with me when the title card hit the screen, and they had to leave so she could <laughs> wow. go give birth to me. So I mean, I was obsessed from the get go. And uh, yep. my parent, my parents always joked that I knew it was gonna be such a good movie. I had to get out, you know, so like, <laughs> like I gotta watch this. I gotta <laughs> I to watch. Check it. this out. Yeah. <laughs> so so Ghostbusters is is a really really important for me important film for me, but ultimately Jaws is the. Jaws is the film that exposed me to that there was a world behind the camera. Hmm. I was six when I saw Jaws for the first time, and I really, really loved it. But my parents were doing the thing of like, okay, we got to tell you that this is a movie so it doesn't, you know, scare you. So we can go on vacation this summer to go swimming. So they explained to me that the shark, you know, they were having all the problems with the shark. And I, I can very much remember being like, well, what do you mean they were having problems with the shark? And they had explained to me, you know... Well, they built this shark so that they could film these scenes. And then my mom bought me the Jaws log, which was mm. the, the diary of one of the producers. And he had a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes photos. And that was the first time I realized, like, oh, movies aren't just what's in front of the camera. Movies aren't just what you see on your screen. Mm. There's mm-hmm. so much more to it. And then a couple of years later, Movie Magic, the TV show, came out. And that was all mm. about... Yep. You know, Spielberg, I think, produced it and stuff. But they talked about... Special effects and visual effects and set design and building miniatures, and I was just done at that point. I was like, "This is everything I want to do." So, wow. Jaws and Movie Magic are like the two most influential moments I think. Uh, and then seeing Evil Dead at the end of at the age of ten and realizing, <laughs> "Oh, you don't need a studio," you know, like yeah. like to me when I saw Evil Dead, I saw it as these were just friends that went in the woods and made something. And they made something this incredible.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If
3: they could do it, I can do it.
2: Yeah. yeah. And and some of the best horror films ever made were like that. You know, yep. *Night of the Living Dead*. Right. Again, you know, yep. it, that one was how long it took them a. How, how long did it take them to shoot *Night of the Living Dead*? Oh, I, I think better part of a year. Yeah. Right. They just yeah. when they would get some cash, they'd go. Yep. And film then, a few scenes. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw
3: Massacre. Exactly the same way. Real yeah. Texas and bad taste. Peter mm-hmm. Jackson's bad taste which mm-hmm. again I saw you know I saw I I grew up with a great video store that had a, it was the house of horror it wasn't just a horror section it was its own little room and oh, the, nice. the manager there would basically like I'd come return a movie and it would be like this oh you liked evil dead you should watch this and he'd give me bad taste and then I would go home and I watch bad taste and I was like oh I want more he's like oh you like that toxic avenger and you know I just <laughs> I just got exposed to so much but a lot of what was really registering and yeah I liked Friday the 13th and I liked Halloween but now looking back I go it was all the independent movies mm-hmm. because yeah. it had a, a more genuine passion and mm-hmm. raw quality to them it was they're rough around the edges and mm, yeah and, and it's I, also
1: different from, I mean, mainstream yep. things, you know, at post-Halloween, like, that gave an entire decade of flavor, like, horror right. films a flavor. And, and in the 90s, we were talking about, like, how a lot of, you know, the 90s horror films had a certain flavor. And so, yep. yeah, the independents feel different because of that as well. Like, mm-hmm. they're not tied to
2: having to fit in with Hollywood. Well, and look at them, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s with, with horror, you know, like, after Scream became a big hit, yep. you had... Yeah, I know what you did last summer. Films, disturbing and behavior, disturbing behavior, urban, urban legend, urban legend, yep. uh, Final Destination, all the Scream sequels, and they yeah. all had the same kind of, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a rehash of oh, the slasher. Yeah. But it I have a fondness one. for those too, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm, I
3: liked all of it when I was a mm-hmm. kid. I liked it yeah. all, but yeah, there was something about those independent films that I didn't realize they were independent at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, <laughs> these these are the movies that go
2: places that
3: these other ones aren't,
2: right? Right, yeah, I remember. I remember watching a lot of the the full moon movies because they always sure. had that making a featurette. Oh, right, after the credits, yeah. You know, they'd have the thing of being like stick around after the film yeah. for the making of, and just for Puppet Master, especially like seeing footage of the the workshop where they were making mm-hmm. all of the maquettes and all of the puppets and stuff for the film. Which then you go and watch the film, and you can clearly see somebody's hand, and you know. But they were making these things, and mm-hmm. there's something that's that's really lost. I feel like with, uh, and we've talked about this on the show before. But there's something that's lost in, in modern day genre films with all the computer animation. Yep. Oh yeah, that's one of our good old man bitching points for. Yep. Well, but you can. <laughs> well, and you and I were talking about this, John, before we recorded. But I went and saw it, um, the second It movie last night, and it that and the the first part are nowhere as effective to me at least uh, compared to the miniseries from the 90s because practical effects. Right. When mm-hmm. somebody's dressed up like a clown on the set, that's scary yeah. as shit. You know? yep. <laughs>
3: well, and, and that show, Movie Magic, that's what made me fall in love with movies mm-hmm. is creating the and building this world and digital takes that away from me. Like, I'm not saying that there's not a craft to the, the digital effects because mm-hmm. there absolutely is. But I love the idea that Somebody built this set, or built this creature, or did these effects that everybody is seeing mm-hmm. and reacting to. That's what makes me so excited about movies. I just when something's on a green screen, it takes that joy away for me. Mm-hmm. And and I get it. It's you know there's some things you can't do, but nothing beats practical to me.
2: Well, yeah, um, I agree. I, I do want to mention too, shifting gears a little bit. You know when we were talking about um, Demonite, you had mentioned you know you like story. Yeah, big story. Yeah. And um, rewatching your your uh, 2012 film, Deadweight. Yes, mm-hmm. that's that's all story. It's, and and yeah. I know that there's been discussion among people that have seen it because it, it's uh, you, you may hate this description, right? It's a zombie film with no zombies. In well, it. no, no. I mean, but, we we <laughs> event, we eventually just accepted that we were trying and, to
3: ever use a Z
2: word, but it's right. a zombie right. film without yeah. zombies. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's a, what what really struck me watching it for the first time was how you know people give other post-apocalyptic movies which was probably more appropriate right no yeah i know post apocalyptic films you know credit when when you care about the characters because essentially those are just movies with gore and oh yeah there's some cool characters too right um you just gave us the characters and holy shit it was it was great it's it really was effective. effective
1: yeah Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean,
3: that Adam, who I co-wrote and co-directed that film with, I mean, that was the plan from the get-go. You know, and it was kind of like, mm-hmm. if you want to see zombie action and you want to see, like, the other post-apocalyptic worlds where you're merged into that that world, there's so many films like that. And mm-hmm. we like those movies, too. But it was just like, we like characters. We like people. We- okay, seriously, it's about those internships I applied for.
1: Good news?
0: I got one! Hey! <clears throat>
1: It's in Minneapolis.
3: Hello?
2: Charlie, Minneapolis is under some sort of attack.
1: I'm meeting you in Warsaw. I think after a month and a half, I'd stop reliving the first day. I
0: don't
2: think anybody ever gets used to living like this. That's the nice thing about abandoned houses. Nobody in them, nobody checks them. Well, what if there's a civilized area, a safe place where people are starting over? Did you find it yet? No. What are you looking for anyway?
3: Cities are pretty much all overrun. I have to get to Wausau, but I can't do it alone. None of
1: us know exactly where we are, where
3: we're going. Where I'm going? It's the only place you're gonna wanna be.
0: Hey, you don't turn your back on me. You're not done with anything. We need each other. Survival's about decisions. Making the right choices at the right times. So.
1: Result in some really really
0: great things for me it, for us
3: and something that I kind of always ties with all the films that I do nothing is more frightening to me than humans mm. and yeah <laughs> I I will always explore what humans are capable of, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to me, it was just like, yeah, if that happened, if there was some virus that wiped out civilization, that'd be fucking awful. But what would happen when you take rules away and you take our society away Mm -hmm. and we're just left with other humans? That's so
2: much more frightening. To me. Well, you know, look at TV shows yeah, they, and the popularity of, like, The Walking Dead, right? Yeah. And it took them a few seasons before that became the focus. You know, like ah, the, the the cause of all of this is manageable now, but now we have to deal with each other. Yep. And it was such a revelation. Yeah. Yet, so was was that a, a, a conscious decision from the get-go? Yeah. To do it that way, it was. It absolutely was.
3: And um, and you know, the funny thing, like we've seen some reviews where they were like. Oh, if they if they had a budget, they would have done gore and stuff. And it's like, even if we had a budget, we still wouldn't have done it because that mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. what we wanted to focus right. on. Because that and, wasn't
1: what your movie was. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Correct. Yep. <laughs> and especially once we came up with that story, and which is about a character named Charlie who's trying to reunite with his girlfriend after society crumbled due to a virus, mm-hmm. we knew from the get go this is Charlie's story. So everything in it has to to reference and or motivate Charlie's next move. Okay. And so mm-hmm. it was just it was just story from the get-go. And, uh, yeah, it, it's actually... I recently had to go back to that film to grab a clip for uh, a making of for Gags the Clown that I'm doing because some of our actors from Deadweight are also mm-hmm. in Gags the Clown. Yeah. And I haven't seen Deadweight Weight in four years, maybe five years. And I was flipping through some scenes, and I hit that point where I've been so far removed that I was actually like, oh, wow, this scene was kind of cool actually you know and like it just it just it made me really proud of what we did because we did we get you go to the amazon page and it's like all one star reviews and people are saying like this is the worst zombie movie and you know the zombies aren't in it and that's partially due to our distributor which Mm -hmm. advertised it as a zombie movie but um it you know and that and while you don't care, you don't make movies for people to praise it, you know, it also makes you go like, oh, shit, do we miss what we were trying to do?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, if
3: all these other people are hating it. And um, I don't know. There, I think I'm, I'm removed enough that I can just be like, hell, yeah, we did it. We did something yeah. different. And yeah, I'm, cool, yeah, yeah, with, and yeah, I'm no, cool with that.
1: And well, I think uh, it fits yeah. in the genre. And people that are open-minded to something like that are going right. to are gonna enjoy it because they're going to get what what you're going to do. You're always going to have those people that go on there watch five minutes of it Go put a one star review up, and you know, absolutely, that's, that's all there. And yeah, you can't worry about
2: worry about them. So, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I think I it's always, a, it's a. Know, I was gonna say I always attribute it to like if I'm, you know, the only time I'm ever gonna review something on Amazon, like is if I'm really really upset. Mm-hmm. You know, like this arrived broken and they didn't refund it. yeah yep. you know, old man yell at cloud kind of thing. Right, right. But <laughs> if I'm happy and satisfied with it, I usually don't go review it. Sure. Yeah. It's absolutely, only when I'm upset. Absolutely. Yep. So, you I don't know say, how much many... human beings were the opposite of that because it would be so much more constructive and
1: helpful for everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. If, if we just like
2: spread the positive, you know, positive yeah. shit everywhere. But no, we, we just have a tendency to bitch when we're unhappy. So, okay. So some people are unhappy for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. But, you know, and, and maybe I'm guilty of this because I love the movie and I haven't written a review for it. So, that, no, <laughs> maybe I, I should no, do no, that. No, no, You should go it. do that. Yeah. And, you know, and I, but I also, I've also, I should of, as well.
3: I've also kind of said that I just, I'd rather make a movie that people are going to remember, whether that's because they liked it so much or they hated it so much, because at least you're evoking a response from them. Mm-hmm. If somebody mm-hmm. were to just be like, yeah, it was okay, and then, you know, like, they don't ever think about it, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. But if someone's like, I fucking hated this movie so much, in years they're still talking about it, well, you
2: you made a connection with that person. Well, I mean, so <laughs> yeah. do you, I mean, as, as the, you know, co-writer, co-director of, of Deadway, do you classify it as a horror film? So,
3: it, you know, Adam, who who is my film partner on that, like, we don't talk about that film anymore, really. But uh, that was a conversation that we had for so long. Because when we wrote it, it felt like a true horror film. And then when we were making it, there are multiple times on set we're like, I don't think that this is a horror movie. And then even <laughs> in the edit, we're like, I don't really know what this is. It's like a dark romantic comedy, kind of. and in a way. Yeah. It, So, um. I think it's, it's the horrors of humanity is what yeah, I was going to say.
1: Com- it is <laughs> certainly in, in my opinion, it's certainly horrific. Like I think it yeah. fits like the, the, into a horror, generally into horror. Does it fit into zombie necessarily? Right. I mean that I would say yes still, but, um, I think it could be argued that, you know, the lack of zombies makes it not fit. Some people just can't get over that. Yep. Like one little stumbling point, but, yep. um, there was, there yeah, was... no, I, I think you definitely, you guys definitely put together something that is certainly a horror film, but it's it's a little different than what, you know, it's not Halloween, it's not a zombie All movie, right. it's not like, um, but exploring the horrors of humanity is generally where the horror film, well, uh, yeah. that's kind of the the idea hey. underneath everything right it yeah and that's kind of how, what, I
2: was, what I was kind of getting at with mm-hmm. my question I guess was because I think so many people when they hear horror they think blood guts and monsters it, or absolutely or something. they think something supernatural or, un- or otherworldly yep. or something when I, I, I remember one of my other favorite films is Sign of the Lambs sure and that's Horrors, ultimate Absolutely. horrors of humanity. Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. masters horrors of humanity. Yep, and uh, Wes Craven's first than... film, Last House on the Left. Last House on uh, the yeah, Left Last House, is an yeah. interesting,
1: weird, has humor. Yeah, but it, like I mean, it's just awkward uh, humor. But it's also yeah. so off-putting, and, and it definitely explores right. the dark side of humanity, yeah. and you know what what violence does to people. And it's it's much deeper than you know you get when you watch it the first time. Um, it's not necessarily a similar film to Deadweight, but it has some... Like, that is the kind of thing, I think, that... Similar themes. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, Link. so
3: do I think it's horror? I I really don't know. If, if somebody told me that... If somebody made an argument for that it is, and someone made an argument for that it isn't, I could understand both viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And I do think it kind of harkens back to... I'm not saying that it's like a movie from the 60s, but when you look at what some of those, you know, like The Bad Seed, for Mm -hmm. example, or or, um, uh, Diabolique, which was a French film, those are Mm -hmm. horror films to me, but they don't, they're not a convention. What we find
2: is like the conventional definition of horror these days. Right. Well, and blood and guts and monsters like Joseph. Well, (laughs) when when it comes to looking at at the impact of, uh, you know, what people are capable of doing and and you know we're, we've been discussing you know the importance of story over visuals right mm-hmm. uh, that a good story can if you've got both that's great but the story really has to be the center of it um, your short mm-hmm. film pity mm. is one of the most disturbing things I've <laughs> seen in a long time <laughs> and it's a short yeah. and, and you don't see much right you see enough to it, it's it's almost like one of those Two sentence horror Mm story. It paints a picture. Mm -hmm. It sets it up, and everything after that you just know is rough. Well, and that it it's actually adapted from a four paragraph short story. Mm. And
3: (laughs) when I read that short story, my response was that my friend gave it to me, and I read it, and I said that it's the most beautifully disturbing thing I have ever read, Mm -hmm. and it. I think because it is such a snapshot, you're getting a moment in time. You do kind of paint in the before and the after, but you know we're just seeing a person that is at absolute bottom, mm-hmm. and we're trapped in a car with them for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it's just from the get go, it just that w- it felt so so real and so personal,
2: and that was what really really attracted me to it. Did you receive any? Um uh, feedback about that regarding uh, the content because there's there's you know, themes there yeah, right about stalking and right and,
3: so um you know jr um oh my gosh why did i just draw a blank on his last name um oh that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> who wrote the story oh my gosh, jr hayes excuse okay. me jr hayes you know i don't know what where what his motivation was and like where he was mm-hmm. when he wrote the story but when i read it i just saw it as the as a personal internal struggle and i wasn't setting out to glorify anything that could remotely resemble domestic violence or mm-hmm. or abuse <laughs> and and i mean there is especially when it ends like you get the impression that this guy is going to go kill his ex-girlfriend and mm-hmm. That was, to me, that was never what I was going for. And it wasn't even until we were in the edit that it occurred to me that somebody could see this and not know me and not know my intentions and be like, wow, this guy just like wants women to die and, you know, and <laughs> is and is a misogynistic piece of shit. And uh, I think one of the, the coolest moments for me is that there was a screening in Canada and it was every month. In Hamilton, Ontario, they do a f- they do fundraiser screenings, and it's all independent horror movies. And a fundraiser, the fundraiser for the month that Pity showed was for a domestic abuse clinic. Hmm. And the um, Aaron, who organized it, showed the president of it, said, this is the, the film that I want to show to kick off the night. And she was like, absolutely not. We can't. We can't, you know, because this is too real. This is too close. And he had, like, a... F- he told me he was like a 15, 20 minute conversation of like, well, that's why we need to show this because this movie is kind of us looking in the mirror and showing what does happen and showing signs. And um, wow. I, I was amazed. Cause I was almost like, you just went to bat. You, we've never met like, you know, like there's no motivation for you to do this. And I have had some pretty cool conversations where people have asked me, you know, what my intent was behind it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And because it, it can be a very triggering, oh sure, kind of film, especially if you have been in that scenario, you right. know, especially as a woman. And uh, I don't I don't take that lightly at all. You know, like mm-hmm. I <laughs> want to have those conversations with yeah. people because because you know I'm an advocate and I'm an ally every single day of my life, and I don't want somebody to see this and just be like.
2: Get the Uh, wrong idea. Yeah. Well, that's why I was just kind of curious. Like, have, 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 what kind of interaction have you had from, from viewers regarding that? It sounds like most of it's been pretty positive. Most of it has been. And I
3: mean, one of the things, too, is like, you know, nobody, nobody's going to tell you, nobody's going to criticize it as heavily into your face. You know, like, because today it's like you sit behind a keyboard. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you have someone be like, yeah, I didn't get it. I, I would say that's more of the response to pity than I received negative is people just be okay. like, I didn't get it. Like, what was hmm. the point of this? And wh- wh- where's the ending? And, you know, and... Uh, spoon feed everybody. Yeah, right, right. You know. And and I think I'm, I'm more uh, attracted to kind of abstract stories in a way. Or, you know, not... I shouldn't say abstract, ambiguous. Like, give enough information to let mm-hmm. the viewers find out. Yeah. And at the premiere we had at a film festival... I overheard a group talking in the lobby afterwards. I don't think they realized that I was with the film. But, you know, one person's like, well, obviously he goes to kill her. And then another person's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's taking his own life. Like, he's going to shoot himself in the car. That's what this is all about. And then somebody's like, no, he's trying to get suicide by cop. Like, he's going to that house to to make a scene. And I was just like, this is why I didn't want to put an ending. Mm -hmm. You know, because, like, I have my own story. Mm -hmm. But it's way more
2: interesting for me to hear what other people... Come up with well that means that they've yeah. they've connected with the story to some point yep we're now they're putting their thoughts into it to finish it yep that's pretty cool. cool yeah awesome well hey
1: um let's uh tie it up for this week's show yep at that point and we will um john's going to join us again next week to talk about the other tales from the curved feature film bordello of blood and we'll also spend some time talking about john's um newest feature film john and, and adam i book two i believe right did gags the clown is the yep. uh Mm-hmm. new feature um and before we do uh, sign off john where can people see uh deadweight i know you mentioned amazon but deadweight and pity if they are looking or interested in checking those out
3: yeah deadweight is uh, it's up on amazon prime right now so and i think you can still rent it on itunes and google play and voodoo and you know all vod platforms i believe physical copies still exist but our distributor's not the best at communication, so I don't
1: quite know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, and do, but, do you have a physical copy of it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I
3: have I, I have our self released physical copies, which actually oh, yeah, yeah. House of Heroes <laughs> comics and games in down, downtown Oshkosh, That's Right, they still have uh, the physical copies there. But nice. and pity is available on Vimeo. If you just go, hmm. uh, honestly, if you just type in pity Vimeo in Google, it's the first thing that comes up or cool. my website. If you want to shoot
1: us the link to that, we can yes. throw it in the show notes yeah, totally. for everybody too so they can just link straight from that. Beautiful.
2: That's That'd be easier. great. That's way easier. That'd be great. Well, <laughs> John, I want to thank you for being uh, here thank this you. week and we'll be continuing this next time. Um, yeah, if, if... Kind of just to continue what we normally do on here as well, I'd still like to know what any of our listeners think of Demon Knight. If you have a personal uh, story or connection that deals with that, we'd love to hear from it. Um, if you've seen... Uh, Deadweight or Pity, as well, since we've been talking about those films. Feel free to uh, also get in the discussion. You can send us an email at our uh, address at videojunkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet at videojunkpod, our Twitter handle, or find us on Facebook with our regular Video Air Podcast page or the Video Air Podcast Facebook group page. <laughs> wow, that's a lot to say. <laughs> that was really impressive. A Good, job. Good job. And coming up
1: on the podcast, we are going to have a couple of special treats or tricks for Halloween. I know we're looking at some old Disney Channel Halloween specials, as well as possibly another classic classic um, special effects favorite from growing up where we haven't quite decided on the lineup but um, hey you know come back for the halloween special this year also we're going to be looking at space camp real genius um, a couple of lesser known george romero and west craven films mm-hmm. as well as um, a special I was going to say a return to the superhero genre, but that's not quite the best description, but I'll keep you posted on what exactly we are, are doing with that right around the holidays or uh, around the Christmas time this year. So anyway, um, thanks everybody for listening. You usually do this, Joe. I usually do. So I'm going to jump on top I guess, and say, uh, thanks everyone for listening. This is
2: Eric O'Branson. And I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm John Patta. Thanks for tuning into the video junkyard podcast. (laughs) Have a good evening.
1: on Twitter, at VideoJunkPod, and on Instagram as VideoJunkyardPodcast, all one word. want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.